more. Your soul cannot be healthy without intentional and regular times of silence and solitude. That's just one of the lessons I learned during my weekend at a monastery. More on what God showed me during that visit on today's Dreamers and Disciples. Welcome to the podcast today. My name is Wade Joy. I am your host, and I'm really, really glad that you're here. I'm excited about today's episode because it's going to be a bit of story time. I'm going to share with you a pretty pivotal uh, weekend that I had in February of 2022, and it was an important part of my journey towards learning about a healthy soul uh, and the rhythms that my soul needs to really flourish and thrive in God. And so I pray and I really do believe that it's going to help you do the same, that these lessons are things that all of us can apply in our day-to-day life. And some of these are even um, part of what I worked into the ebook that I have on my website. It's free. If you haven't gotten it yet, I encourage you to go check it out at wadejoy.com, uh, J-O-Y-E. And it's called Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul. And so I'd love just to bless you with that if you want to go pick that up, because I think it'll help you evaluate some key areas of your life and help you find rhythms that work for you. Because the rhythms that work for me not might not work for you, but we all need healthy rhythms. So go check that out. But that's what this episode is all about. And actually, it's going to be a two-part episode, because I want to share with you 10 lessons that I learned at a monastery. And so we're going to hit five of those lessons this week in this episode and the other five in next week's episode. And and the lessons that I've kind of grouped together for this episode are all very much about the health of your soul and about doing the internal work that God wants to do. And so let's just jump right in, Uh, because in February of this year, 2022, I was about a month and a half out from... um, resigning from my job at Elevation Church, where I had been the worship pastor for almost 15 years. And it was a great season of my life. I loved it. But my wife and I, over the course of of 2021, had felt God moving us into something new. And so we were excited about that. We were anticipating uh, this new season, that, and we were expectant. But we were also pretty nervous. I, w- I was scared. I was wondering where, you know, our financial stability was going to come from. We had dreams about what ministry and family life could look like, but they weren't a reality yet. So we were in this unknown season. And I was I was nervous, I was afraid, but I was also excited. There was a lot of conflicting emotions. And I'd been reading a lot over the previous year about silence and solitude and learning to quiet my soul to hear from God. And so the Lord had given me uh, a lot of um, new rhythms in my life, but I really wanted something that felt a bit more extreme at the beginning of the season to really make sure that I was hearing from God. And so I'd read a lot about um, people who have done retreats at at monasteries and, and silent retreats and prayer retreats. I've been reading a lot about you know, the the church fathers and mothers throughout history who really embraced silence and solitude. And so I decided that I wanted to do a, a prayer retreat where there was minimal talking, minimal interaction with people, because we all know it can be so hard to find uh, extended times of silence and solitude 
in our world that's very connected. It's very busy, tons of distractions. And so I decided to uh, book a weekend retreat at Mepkin Abbey in uh, the Mepkin Retreat Center down in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. Uh, It's right outside of Charleston. And so I wanted to do an individual prayer retreat. I did it the first weekend of February. And we got there on a Friday, and it lasted through Monday. So it was about four days, uh, really about three full days of silence and solitude and just contemplation and reflection. And so you get there, there's about 10 other, 10 to 15 other people that can do this. It's an individual self-guided retreat. So you can pretty much do whatever you want to there. You can go to the different services throughout the day, the different prayer services that the that the monks hold, which we'll talk more about in next week's episode. Uh, you can walk around the grounds. There's some beautiful gardens there. You can read. You can just stay in your room. But you're encouraged not to, to talk uh, or to interact with other people that are there because you don't want to disturb them. And also, you want to make sure that you're heart is open to what God wants to speak to you. And you're not supposed to use your phone. That's another big rule of the retreat. And in fact, I think I think I read this or heard this from someone um, as I was leading up to go to the retreat, that the roofs of the monastery actually have something in them to keep your cell phone from working. So there's only one place, this lobby, where you could get Wi-Fi. And other than that, my phone really didn't work in any of the rooms, in any of the buildings, and so you really, number one, you need to commit going in that you're not going to look at your phone anyway. But even if you tried to, which I did when I first got there, my phone didn't work, except for in the morning where I'd go to the place where I could text and check in with the family. So it really is an intense, focused time of silence and prayer. And I'm not going to lie, when I got there, I kind of freaked out a little bit because of how addicted I am to just so many different distractions and feeling like I need to know everything that's happening everywhere all at once. And so God really had to do a work in me when I was there to really bring some things to to the surface in my soul. And uh, I think the main lesson that I learned, which these first five lessons are all grouped around, is that your soul needs silence and solitude. It's not something that comes easily. It's not something that happens by accident, but it is vital to the health of our soul. And silence and solitude on a regular basis doesn't mean you go all day without talking to anybody or that you go all day without using your phone. That really isn't practical for most people. And I want to talk to my family. I want to talk to my friends. But it is prioritizing times where we can turn off distractions, where we can disconnect and actually hear from God, because we have forgotten in our society how to be bored. We, have, we always have to have our mind fixated on something. We always have to have a new um, entertainment, whether it's a game on our phone or a show that we're watching. We constantly distract ourselves, and in doing so, we can inhibit the growth of our heart and our soul, and we can inhibit our ability to hear God. So you don't have to go to a monastery to prioritize silence and solitude. I think there are rhythms that you can incorporate every day to do that. But I do think that there is a very helpful thing every once in a while, maybe it's once a quarter, maybe it's twice a year or once a year, to have some type of extended 
time of silence and solitude where you can really get away and refocus. So I was able to do that uh, earlier this year in February. And so the lessons that I learned have had ramifications for my life over this past, you know, seven months or so that I've tried to incorporate and work into my own life, to our family's life, to my ministry and my coaching. And I want to share with you first five lessons that I learned while I was at the monastery. Number one, and I've kind of already talked about it. I've hinted at it already. I'm too attached to my phone. I'm too attached to my phone. Now, I didn't need to go to a monastery to learn this, but I needed to do this four-day retreat to feel how much I was attached to my phone. So like in the same way this summer, our family, we did, well, my family, my wife and I, my kids didn't do this, but we did Whole30. And I knew before I did Whole30, that's a diet where you pretty much take out any processed food, anything that has sugar in it. I knew before that that I ate too much sugar, but my first few days on Whole30 is when I realized how much I was addicted to sugar. My body felt it in a different way. And so I knew I was too attached to my phone, but when I was at this monastery is when I realized how much I was attached, how much I was addicted to my phone. And I thought, you know, when I was no longer at, on staff at a large church like Elevation, that then I wouldn't be so tied to my phone. Because a lot of times it's easy to point to something else or someone else as the problem. Like, well, I have to be attached to my phone because so-and-so needs me, or I have to make sure I'm available for text or email. But I realized that I had the same compulsion and same desire to be on my phone and to be on Instagram and to constantly be checking news sites or whatever. I had that same compulsion and that same tendency when I wasn't on staff. You know, it wasn't just when I was on staff at a very fast-paced organization. It happened when I was on my own and building my own ministry and with my own family. The problem was me. And so when I got there, I remember that my first two hours there, I got there a little early before we did this um, kind of orientation meeting with, with the one of the monks who directs the retreat center. And I started to freak out because I was like, well, what if something happens to my family? What if someone needs me? What if? And I had all these worst case scenarios in my head, but really I just didn't know how to just sit still for three, four days and just be still with my own thoughts and to just be quiet and be present in the moment and to really hear from God. And it took me a full day before I really started to embrace how much I liked not having to be so attached to my phone. Uh, by Saturday, I was really starting to enjoy it. And by Sunday, I felt this immense kind of peace and, and presence that I hadn't felt in a while. And so I realized how, you know, it is hard to turn the phone off, but it's necessary to not be so attached to that screen in our lives. And so we have to find ways in our world that does need us to be connected to limit our access and limit our need for these screens. Um, you're listening to this podcast most likely on your phone. So I'm glad you're using a phone right now because I think that this message is important. So I'm not saying get rid of the phone, but we can't be mastered by the phone. And so you know, I, I didn't have this transformational experience in February, and now I no longer use my phone all the time. I still struggle with this, 
But I have found new practices, like on our Sabbath as a family, we have a phone bucket. And I found that if I just wanted, if I said on our Sabbath, I'm not going to use my phone a lot. If I have the phone with me, I'm going to use it. So we all put our phones in this little bucket and we seal it. And we've given my wife um, total control over that bucket because she's the least attached to her phone in our family. And so if I need to use it for some reason, like if I'm working out that day and I need to look at my phone to get the workout, Ferris has control if I can look at my phone or not. And so we've done that. That's a rhythm that we set up. So for one day, we cannot be on our phone. I try to not be on my phone for the first 90 minutes to an hour or to two hours of my morning because I want to start my day hearing from God and and in prayer before I look to Instagram and to email. I've tried to, after my workday is done, to put my phone in that same bucket for about two hours. So I'm trying to find ways of limiting my access to, to my phone, which is my chief, uh, I guess, temptation when it comes to distraction. Now, I use my phone for some great things too. So once again, life is about learning how to harness and use the good and not be mastered by the bad, not be mastered by something that should be a tool for good when held appropriately. So that was my first lesson. No like massive revelation there, but I needed to feel it differently when I was there. Here was lesson number two. There is beauty all around that I tend to miss because I'm not looking for it. There's beauty all around that I tend to miss because I'm not looking for it. So going off of our discussion about the phone, when I'm looking down at a screen, I miss the beauty all around me. I used to do this all the time when I would go to a concert. I realized that I would spend so much time trying to capture the concert on my phone that I wouldn't actually enjoy the experience. I was trying to capture it to share it with other people, and I was missing the moment. I I used to do that all the time with my family. I was trying to capture moments with my family, and I wasn't in the moment uh, myself. And so when I got to the monastery, it was raining, it was pouring, and that probably added a little bit more to my panic on that Friday that I was just going to be sitting in a room while it was raining because I'd heard how beautiful the gardens were. At this, at this monastery. It's right on the river. And on Saturday, the sun came out and I got to see just how gorgeous it was. And I just walked around for half the day, just taking in um, these sculptures that, that people had made of these tree trunks that to depict different scenes from the crucifixion and from scripture. And just the beauty that was all around me. And I realized normally I would have been half looking at that and half texting somebody or half looking at my phone and how if I can just be more present, there's so much beauty in this world that God wants to not only bless us with, but actually our soul needs. And sometimes I'm not willing to just press pause on my daily schedule to actually enjoy the gift that God wants to give me in my day-to-day. And I mentioned that it was raining when I got there. And here's another lesson that I learned. The the rain didn't take away the beauty that was around me. It just hid it from me, but it was still there. And so what you see sometimes isn't always all that there is to see around you. The beauty might be hidden for a moment, but you have to be patient and wait for it and look for it and, and actually be willing to push through and wait out the rain sometime to see the beauty that might be hidden It might be so close to you if you just give it some time. 
And so, like I said, I took a walk, I experienced the beauty, but it wasn't just the, the nature around me. Uh, there was a library there with, with some books, and I was able to read some books that I normally probably wouldn't have read. And there was one that God just spoke to me in, in so many powerful ways. It was called Sacred Fire, A Vision for a Deeper Human and Christian Maturity by Ronald Rawheiser. I think that's how you say his name. And I journaled so much about what God spoke to me through that book. And it really reinforced a lesson that God has been teaching me a lot over the last two years, is that there is so much wisdom available for us just in the books that we haven't read. There are mentors available to you. There is wisdom available to you more than ever before. You can be mentored across time and space by people who are no longer even alive through the words that they have written. But sometimes I'd rather play a game on my phone than read words that are going to fill my soul. And so is there beauty around you in the books in your life that are unread? What can God speak to you through that? There's so much beauty that we're missing because we're not looking and we don't have eyes to see. All right, here's my third lesson. Uh, Journaling helps me access a different part and a different aspect of hearing from God. I, at 46, had never been much of a journaler. Number one, I can't read my own handwriting. I have the worst handwriting. We actually have a game in our family. You know the telephone game where you whisper something to somebody, and by the time it makes it around the circle, it's what they hear is not what you said? Well, we have something like that, but it's with my handwriting. So at the dinner table, I will write something on a piece of paper, and then I'll pass it to to Sydney. And she has to write down what she thinks I wrote and then pass it down to the next person. And they write down what Sydney wrote. Um or sorry, not what Sydney wrote, they write down what they think I wrote. And everybody gets a chance to write down what they think I said uh, because no one in my family can read my handwriting. And it's amazing what people actually think I wrote. So I'm working on it. Actually, I'm not. I've kind of accepted this is my handwriting at 46. Ferris and my mom can kind of read my handwriting, but it's bad. But because of that, I don't even like journaling or I haven't most of my life. Because a lot of times I can't even read my own handwriting. But what I've realized that weekend as I journaled for really the first time is I was able to be more present with my own emotions and my thoughts, just focusing on writing and getting them on the page, not worrying about if it was correct what I I was feeling or if it was holy what I was feeling. Um, And I could also try to listen to what God was saying and say, God, I'm just going to write down what I think you're saying to me. And there was a different way that my heart could tune into his voice when I did that. I was able to write out prayers in a different way. My mind wandered less when I was journaling. So am I saying that everyone has to journal? No. But I do think uh, it is something to try and experiment with in your prayer rhythms because you might unlock something, you know, a different access to your heart and to your emotions and to self-awareness that you didn't have before. And you might actually be able to tune your heart more to what God wants to say to you through his spirit uh, through that. And so uh, I really began to love journaling then and made that a practice um, in, in a lot of the months since then, a daily practice of prayer. I took a break from it this summer when I did more prayer walks but I'm reincorporating it again in my time of prayer because I realized how much I missed it and how much I need it. 
And plus, now I can go back and say, what what did God speak to me on that weekend in February? And have I seen growth? Maybe there was a prayer that I prayed then that God's answered, and now I have the the opportunity to reflect on God's faithfulness in a new way. So that's the beauty of capturing those prayers and capturing those thoughts in your journal. Once again, this is not rocket science, but sometimes some of the biggest breakthroughs in our life and in our spiritual walk with God are very simple things. It's putting your phone away. It's actually using a journal. You'd be surprised sometimes about the ramifications that something simple like that can have. All right, here's lesson number four. And this is going to sound very simple. Again, God can send me what I need when I need it. God can send me what I need when I need it. Now, here's something really powerful that happened to me that while I was there. Like I said, Friday when I got there, I was kind of freaking out, but I really started to enjoy myself Saturday. I felt like God was speaking to me. And then Sunday, I felt like that morning, I, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. I felt refreshed. And on Sunday afternoon, there's a time in the afternoon where they close the gates, and after that, you can't get out until the next day. And I was supposed to leave on Monday morning. And I had this thought, I was like, you know what, I can I can leave early before they close the gates and I can come home early and surprise the family. But really it was just the still, I thought I'd gotten everything I needed, but there was still this part of me that was like, why don't you just get back home to what's familiar? You know, you can actually use your phone again. So there, <laughs> there were still these voices in my head that were trying to get me out of this state of silence and solitude. And I remember sitting there in my room saying, no, I can't do that. I committed to stay. I'm going to do it. And so I went to dinner, and dinner was kind of awkward because you've got about 10 people in this very small room, and we're not supposed to talk. And when you're silent as you eat soup, that is a very awkward, very loud slurping that comes from everybody. Um, Every plate hitting the table is awkward. So I was eating my vegetables and my bread. There weren't that many options. And this lady came over to me. She started talking, which was kind of a no-no. You weren't supposed to talk. I hadn't, I'd seen her, but we hadn't talked at all. And she told me, she said, hey, I was reading this book today, and I got to this passage, and I really felt like the Lord wanted you to read it. And it was a book by Henry Nowen, which I'd been devouring books by Henry Nowen in the months leading up to this retreat. So kind of got my attention. And so she gave me the book, and after she left, I read the passage And I mentioned this at the top of the podcast, but I had been really just nervous my whole time there about, you know, I've stepped out in faith, kind of put our families, financial security, everything on the line and trying to trust God. And I had this doubt that was constantly there of what if you made the wrong decision? You're going to fail. Everybody's going to see that you failed. You're not going to have enough money. Actually, like falling flat on my face and not being successful and not having enough money were kind of the two loudest fears that I'd been processing and praying through while I was there. So here's the passage uh, that this lady gave me to read. And this is Henry Nowen writing. Uh, You're in a big room with a six-inch wide balance beam in the center. Now, the balance beam is only 12 inches off the fully carpeted floor. Most of us act as if we were blindfolded and trying to walk on that balance beam. We're afraid we'll fall off, but we don't realize we're only 12 inches off the floor. The spiritual director is someone who can push you off that balance beam and say, see, it's okay. God still loves you. 
Take that nervousness about whether you're going to succeed and whether you have enough money. Take the whole thing up on that narrow beam and just fall off. I don't know if you you caught that, but the two things that I'd been nervous about and praying about, not being successful, not having enough money, in this passage, it said, take that nervousness about whether you're going to succeed and whether you have enough money, take the whole thing up on that narrow beam and just fall off. So here God had this stranger that I'd never met come and give me the exact word that I needed to hear. Here's the other thing. I almost left. And if I had left because I wanted to get back to what was safe and comfortable, I would have missed the word that God wanted me to have. And so not only did God remind me in that moment that He would give me every bit of financial provision I needed, every bit of um, wisdom and open doors that I needed in this new ministry and this new venture, but He was going to give me every word from Him that I needed whether it came through someone I knew or a stranger, whether it was in Charlotte or at a monastery outside of Charleston, God was a good, generous provider and would give me exactly what I needed when I needed it. Plus that whole passage in that book was about spiritual direction, which is a new way that I'm beginning to frame what I think God has called me to do. And what even this podcast is, it's a, it's a vehicle of spiritual direction and realizing how much I needed that from different people. So God will give you what you need when you need it. Um, He is faithful. So God knew I needed this word, and it was in making space for solitude that he gave it to me. Are you missing out on hearing what God is trying to give you because you won't quiet your soul? All right, here's the fifth lesson and the final one for this podcast. That is the messiness of my inner world doesn't scare God. The messiness of my inner world doesn't scare God. So the first day, that day that I was trying to acclimate to this prayer retreat, as I was starting to journal, I was just journaling and writing down and just confessing a lot of sinful attitudes in my heart, some bitterness that I had, some pain that I had, some frustration. I was convicted a lot as I did it, and a lot of those prayers are just prayers of repentance and prayers of confusion and prayers of just acknowledging pain to God and And then the second day is when I felt like God was really starting to speak to me in the silence through what I was reading. And I remember the last night I was there, I consolidated all of those main takeaways in my journal, and I kind of put a neat bow on it, and I was like, okay, I'll leave the next morning. And then as I was about to leave Monday morning, I felt God just impressed upon my spirit, write down everything you want to see me do in your life, and don't worry about if the motives are selfish or pure, just write it all down. And so I did. I just wrote everything down. And some of these were like grand, um, what felt like noble ambitions. And some of them didn't feel as noble. They felt a little bit more self-centered. But I wrote it all down. And as I was driving home, I felt the Holy Spirit just say, if you bring me your inner world, all of it, the good, the bad, the selfish, the selfless, the pure motives, the ones that are mixed in with your ego— If you bring me your inner world, let me sort that out. I will take care of your outer world. So if you bring me your inner world, I will take care of your outer world. And that stuck with me since February. That has been a a thing that I come back to time and time again. God, I'm going to bring you everything, whether I feel 
all the right feelings, whether I'm thinking all the right thoughts, I'm just going to bring it to you, and I need your Holy Spirit to help me sort it out. I need your Word to help me see clearly. But I used to always feel like I had to put on this image that I had everything together, and I even for some reason felt like I had to have that image with God, even though God knows my heart. But it's in bringing God everything, my my pain, my victories, my faith, my unbelief, like one of the most honest, beautiful prayers in all of Scripture is, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to bring God my belief and my unbelief and trust that as I bring Him my inner world and present that before Him on a daily basis, He is going to take care of my outer world. God's not surprised by the messiness of my heart. It doesn't push Him away. In Christ, He is always near, but I need to draw near. The promise, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God is not far away in Christ. He is near, but we have to open our hearts and draw near to him for us to experience all that he wants to do in us. So it's not up to me to transform my heart, but I can make spaces and adopt rhythms and disciplines to position my heart for transformation. It's the Holy Spirit alone that can change me. All he needs is a willing heart of surrender, a heart that holds nothing back. And ultimately, that's what silence and solitude is all about. It's about bringing our heart to Him. And often there's what we know to bring, but in silence and solitude is when often the Holy Spirit will bring things to the surface that I didn't know how to name yet, or I didn't know how to give voice to. But it's in being still and distraction-free that God pinpoints the things in my heart that need to be dealt with. So, that, those are my first five lessons from the monastery. Nothing earth-shattering, but transformational nonetheless for me. Here's a recap. I'm too attached to my phone. I have a feeling you might be too. Uh, there's beauty all around that I tend to miss because I'm not looking for it. I think all of us can relate to that. Uh, what are you missing right now because you're just not aware? What gifts has God given you that are right there, but you're missing it because you're too distracted? Journaling helps me access a different part of hearing from God. Maybe that's a discipline or a rhythm you want to experiment with and try. God can send me what I need when I need it. Trust God. He is faithful. Open yourself up to what He wants to speak to you, um, the word He wants to entrust. Trust that He's going to give it to you when you need it. His timing is perfect. And finally, the messiness of my inner world doesn't scare God. And the messiness of your inner world doesn't scare God either. So I pray that these uh, these lessons will encourage you. And once again, these are lessons. I haven't gone back to a monastery since February. I am going to try to do another extended prayer retreat somewhere very soon. But these are lessons that we can all work out in our day-to-day life. So I'd love to hear from you. What resonated with you? Let me know on Instagram. Let me know on a review for the podcast. And if this really helped you, share it with someone else. Send the link to someone else, and and maybe this can encourage them too. And also, I'd love to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so you can stay on this journey with us. But I'm excited to share the next five lessons that I learned at the monastery next week on Dreamers and Disciples. I'll see you then.